0: The following podcast is Work Safe. We talk games. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a very special breakout bonus level. Uh, now, Eric Alex is on the line with me. Hello. There he is. That's his signature sign-on <laughs> phrase, if you didn't know. Hello. Uh, I think I did that perfect. You didn't know if it was Eric or it was me. And I, of course, am your host, Wiggly McPhee, small C, big wiggle. I always <laughs> used to tease at every opening of We Talk Games. We Talk Games, a show where we talk about Pokino and marbles battling tops and all your favorite games and we're finally going to do something like that. Now, Eric Alex is going to take the approach of board games that feel like video games that he sucks at. That's right. I'm gonna and t- RPGs. And RPGs. Right, right. Now, any table tapper type of things going to go on here, like uh, these magic things? Or are we going to stay away from that for now? Uh, we can do that
1: next time. I, I'm not talking about any of them right now, although okay. I am currently playing uh, the vampire CCG and the Vampire the Masquerade PC game from 2004 sort of simultaneously, so I could probably talk about that
0: next time. Very good. And I'm going to probably be talking about classic and non-classic style board games. I'm going to try to tie it in with video games. I'm going to talk about some board games that should be video games, and of course I'm sure to mention things that are on the CDI as well. I got to tell you that at first, you know, We Talk Games is solely about video games. We don't really talk about politics uh, unless we have uh, Trip Hawkins on where I tease that we're going to do that. We don't uh, dabble in religion unless we talk about the, uh, the Jesus game that was created by or like Tommy Raffinus. Or what? Populists? Sure, sure. Those yeah, god yeah. games, uh, and we might might even talk about something that has to do with Jesus and Muhammad and a lot of other uh, religious type folks in future episodes of this type of bobble, but I don't want to give anything away. But we sort of stayed away from diverging off the track of video games, but I think that this is very pertinent because as we have had Ralph Baer on the show, now Ralph Baer, the official creator of video games as recognized by magazines and the internet and me and Kyle (laughs) and Stinky the Game Master... And not T.T. Schmookins. She doesn't, she still thinks that somebody else did it, but, uh, you know, she's a conspiracy fool. But he is considered the father, if you will, of video games, the creator of video games. And he has said that his games and video games are just an extension of things that we have been doing since the dawn of our age. He was, of course, speaking more of board style games and. Dice and uh, all different types of uh, that, that style of game and indeed, I mean if you look at his Odyssey titles, you had to keep score on a, a piece of paper you know, oh yeah, they were
1: practically <laughs> board games that had an online element.
0: That that had a a, a white uh, thing on top of a black TV screen that you uh, made move around with a, a series of knobs and dials. Yep. So you know it was it was good. Here, this is a cat and mouse game. Oh yes, you can go through the walls, but try not to, and then write down your score if you caught the mouse. <laughs> go through the walls is cheating. So quit yes, it. It is. <laughs> So, I I don't think this is too out of place, and I think it's fun. Why don't you start us off, because I'm sure I'm going to just bore the hell out of everyone, because I'm pretty much going to talk about games that I think I'm the only one that owns.
1: Uh, I have some pretty obscure games that I'm going to talk about here today. I've got one that's fairly mainstream. I might as well start with that. It's uh, Let's put it like this. Wiggly, do you like Diablo? Who doesn't? Uh, exactly but are you good at diablo uh
0: you know i I get bored of it to be honest with you
1: yeah i don't have the stick-to-itiveness to actually uh grind for all the good loots and stuff i mean yeah i fought my way through diablo one i fought my way through diablo two but i got bored after beating it and never continued i see but back in april i picked up a board game called Descent Journeys in the Dark.
0: Now, this doesn't have to do with the, the game Descent for the PC and the PS1, where you're a, a first-person perspective spaceship going into caves.
1: Absolutely nothing to do with that.
0: Okay, good.
1: It's by a guy named Kevin Wilson, and it was published by a Minnesota-based company called Fantasy Flight Games. They're a big board game manufacturer right now. Hmm. They, uh, For like
0: independent style games? or
1: No, these guys, you know, they make niche hobby games, so you're not going to find their games in Toys R Us. But if you go into, you know, your local RPG shop, there's going to be a whole bunch of these games
0: on the wall. Gotcha, gotcha. I've seen these. I don't know what these things do on the walls, and I get scared when I go in there and ask if they have, you know, copies of Weird New Jersey or something for chiz. I get I uh, get scared by these fellows that are table tapping there.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a whole other world in those places, uh, one that I'm very familiar with.
0: Yeah, now you hang out at these dens. I guess Tuesdays your gaming night, right?
1: Uh, Tuesday, uh, I don't actually play at
0: a store.
1: Okay. Uh, I'm of an age now where going to the store to play games seems a little gauche, but uh, the local store here in town is Pegasus Games. Big shout out. Pegasus Games in Madison. (laughs) Who? And, uh, yeah, I go there to see what's new on the shelves. Typically go in there, look at what's new, go read some reviews, see if I want to buy it go back, buy it, you know.
0: Now, what do you do on Game Night? Is it like the Big Bang Theory television show where you dress up and eat, you know, <laughs> Thai food and things like this?
1: Uh, sometimes there's Thai food. Okay. Uh, but uh, lately on Tuesdays, we've been playing this game called Descent. Okay. Uh, and the thing with Descent is, it's a board game. And it's going to take you well over 100 hours to get through it.
0: Holy moly!
1: yeah it is basically a prepackaged dungeons and dragons campaign that you play competitively against your friends one player plays the part of the game master but uh he's actively working against the other players unlike in dungeons and dragons he can't just immediately end the game by saying rocks fall and everybody dies (laughs) i see He's got rules of his own to follow, which makes things interesting for the game master player, even though he's not actually creating the adventure that the players are going on.
0: This is like D and D Mario Party. Yeah, kinda. The one-on-three sections. <laughs> I
1: mean, uh, Descent it, in its base form, and I, I won't, I won't kid you. This is a truly expensive board game. Okay. the The core game itself is going to run you about eighty bucks. And there are numerous $40 expansions for this game. Wow. Uh, And to get the full experience out of it, you're going to need probably at least two of those. So you're looking at shelling out just under $200 on this game if you want to get into it. On the other hand, you're going to get your money's worth out of it. The the quality of the components is pretty fantastic. Fantasy Flight's known for their high-quality plastic miniatures. The game comes with a whole lot of tiles that represent the dungeons that the adventuring party is wandering around in. And the game itself, it has uh, it has really quality tactical combat scenarios. Each dungeon level has have something unique about it to, for the players to react to different types of monsters with different abilities. It reminds me a lot of Dungeons & Dragons 4th edition. It's perhaps more complicated than Dungeons & Dragons 4th edition because... You have to do a lot of looking up of various rules when you're playing this game. I see. There are some drawbacks to it. I mean, there are parts to the campaign we're playing that were clearly not well thought out. I'll just give you an example. We're playing yes. Sea of Blood expansion. It's a campaign where the players are they find a magical ship and go off in these islands and adventure on them. Last night when, last night was a Tuesday. Uh, (laughs) we were playing and um, the players who were uh, my friends squared off against a ship full of enemies played by me we set up the board with the two enemy ships and the random setup had the ships fairly close together and pointing cannons at each other the players quickly deduced that the best thing that they could do was board the enemy ship Punt the pilot away from the uh, captain's wheel, and pilot the ship directly into some rocks. Okay. Which they did in one turn. We spent at least 20 minutes setting up the board. (laughs) And then first turn, before the monsters ever got a chance to go, they were all dead because their ship cracked up on the rocks. The scenario was not well thought out. Uh, Later on that same night, we played another... The, the ship reached its destination, which was a, uh, an island of adventure. <laughs> okay. And the island map is fairly large. And it, at first, it, it seems deceptively open compared to the cramped dungeon tiles that you normally are adventuring on. Uh-huh. But there are trees all over the, uh, the island. And the trees have a special ability where if you stand in the same space as a tree, you can use it for cover which makes it next to impossible to shoot at you from a distance. So the game got bogged down in this weird hopping from tree to tree cat and mouse game. It got a little boring, and uh, it took us a while before the players just gave up and retreated from the island. I see. Um, It was, uh, yeah, I mean, there are times when this game was clearly not thought all the way through. On the other hand, when you're actually down in the dungeons, you'll be having a blast with this game. Uh, especially if you're a fan of RPGs, D&D, that sort of game. You're going to like this.
0: Very good. You know what I'll do? I'll start with something a little bit more contemporary before I dump into 1975 and, and my childhood. <laughs> and I, honestly, I'm going to do that and and bring up such bo- bizarre board games that most people will not believe that they're real board games. But I'm I'm holding them here in my hand. Not as I right. speak, but I will. I've always talked about uh, on We Talk Games how I like sports games, but I like sports games that, you know, are like 2020 baseball stars, robot, baseball. Uh, yeah, that Mutant type. League football. Exactly. Things like that. Well, speaking of Mutant League football, this is a game that you could probably pick up somewhere between, still, you could probably still get it somewhere between $13 and $40. You could probably get a new for 40 somewhere. This is a game that was developed in 2003 by Hasbro and Milton Bradley. It's a Milton Bradley game. I'll be talking a lot about Milton Bradley and a few Parker Brothers as well. And this is a game called Battle Ball. And this is an actual board game that is the future of football. That's what it claims on here, although... I remember
1: seeing this in the store when it came out, yeah, I was always interested in it, but it, it, the price point was kind of high for just a impulse buy for
0: me. It was, but when it dumped to five bucks, I picked it up. You there have you a go. giant twenty inch by forty four inch game board twenty two detailed miniature players, and it's for only uh two players you you need two players unless you want to play by yourself and be a complete f- tool, which I've done already um <laughs> The reason that this can tie in with your D&D stuff is is any D&D player will be completely thrilled to know that there are two 20-sided dice, two 12-sided dice, two 10-sided dice, two 8-sided dice, four 6-sided dice, a one 6-sided football passing die, which I never do the passing business because that uh, makes it too complex for Chiz to play, And uh, so, how about that twenty-sided dice? There you go. That's worth the price of admission (laughs) for five bucks. Yeah, because then you can use it in your other games. Each one of these dice will correlate to one of the base colors of your football dudes. So, let's say like the regular six-sided die will correlate to your giant linebacker who he like takes up two spaces on the playing board, and he can only move the roll of the six-sided die each play. Oh, I got you. Your receivers and those type of guys, those fleet-footed fellows, they get the 20-sided die. And that's basically what happens. You hold the ball, and you keep rolling your players until you run into another player, and then you roll dice against each other, And you can roll your twenty-sided dice against someone's uh, six-sided dice, and it's the lower number that wins that roll. Uh That's why your linebackers have a better chance of rolling lower. And then when you when you tackle someone, you put a little carnage token on the game board. Wait,
1: does it say carnage on it?
0: No, it just it. (laughs) That's what they're called. (laughs)
1: Oh, okay. It's like an explosion. If, if a little token that said "carnage." I'm picking it up just for the tokens.
0: <laughs> Wait, let me double check, because uh, <laughs> it is an explosion, and there, there may be something written in here. Uh, no, it's just it's just, just an, an explosion. An, yeah, it's an explosion. It's a big mess. <laughs> so what happens is when you when you hit someone, they get put on the sideline. As play goes on, you only play to like one point. <laughs> Really? And yeah, uh, you know, one touchdown and then the game's over. As your players get tackled, they get put on the sideline. So it it continues to whittle down and whittle down. And all you're trying to do is move the the ball to the goal line. Each playing piece only gets one move uh, per your turn, but your t- turn can keep going until you run into a person to tackle. You can also try to hand off the ball, and that can either result in a successful handoff or I think a fumble. Okay, and it, you know, so this this is a really cool little football style game. It can go quick. It could take like ten minutes to win, or it could go up to forty five minutes, and sometimes it gets a little laborious as well. But it's it's pretty fun, and like I say, I play with Chiz, so we're both not football fans, but we both enjoy it. And you know, like I said, it's um, it, it has really neat little little characters. They're well done. Milton Bradley. They did a pretty good job on this title. Brings something really unique out.
1: Yeah, it sounds like a good game. Uh, or kind of reminds me of uh, Blood Bowl, maybe less complicated, but uh, but the miniatures at least come painted for
0: you. I played Blood Bowl uh, the the electronic version, and I wasn't too pleased with that.
1: You know, that's a weird game. That it was a board game originally. Right. Okay. Gotcha. There's an interesting backstory to it. That the guys that made the video game, they had been putting together their own board game football video game ripoff of Blood Bowl, and they got sued by the makers of the uh, actual board game. Okay. And somehow in the settlement, it wound up them getting the license to produce <laughs> the video game using what framework they already had, because wow. apparently they were making a quality product. I see. But if you haven't played the board game... Which I have. I've played uh-huh. the board game. Okay. Uh, the The video game version isn't going to make that much sense the first time you play it.
0: That's sort of like Magic: The Gathering. If if you played Magic before, the Magic: The Gathering video game is a dream come true. If you haven't, you'll be just as lost.
1: Yeah, you'll be completely lost, and that's and and that's really true in this game because the the rules are not immediately intuitive. I mean, they make sense once you get them. Blood Bowl is an interesting game. There's a lot of risk management in it. The, the key to playing Blood Bowl properly is to take all of your actions on your turn in order of increasing risk. So you take your safest moves first, which are moving your guys that aren't near any enemies uh, into proper positions, and then you take your attacks on easy targets, and then you move the ball into a safe position, and then you take your attacks on riskier targets, and eventually you're doing crazy stuff to see if you can get away with it. Because the game as soon as the dice roll goes against you, your turn's done and it goes to your opponent. I see. And it's really unforgiving for for a newbie to be playing that game. I got that video game, the video game version through Steam, and there's not much documentation. I mean, the rules are not really there. You can kind of play through the tutorial, and it kind of gives you some of the gist of it, but I think if you really want to play that game, you should go find a copy of the living rule book online and read the actual uh, rules for the board game and for the love of pete don't try playing the real-time version of that game play it uh, as a turn-based game
0: i see it doesn't work real time ah okay good good tip see more more video game tips for you Uh, i didn't even mean to talk about that one (laughs) <laughs> Amazing. Uh, well, Battle Ball is more. And It's not quite Mutant League football. I loved that game. Yeah, it's a great game. How about Mutant League yeah. hockey? Didn't really float my boat as much as football did.
1: It wasn't as good, but I played yeah. it a lot. yes yeah. You know, at the time I was, uh, I was in like middle school, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> and if you got a video game in middle school, you
0: had to play it because you did. You weren't getting another video game for a while. And those like came with giant books. I think. Right. I mean, those those yeah, Genesis those cartridges were. Uh, the applications for those were thick. I don't know what they were telling a a novelette, I guess. Uh, well, yeah. it's it's not it's not quite to that level of fun. I would put it somewhere between brutal sports football for the jaguar and a mutant league football. The you know it's more more arcade based than, I think than your your blood sport your blood ball battle ball sport balls. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's more it's more like the arcade version of a board game. Uh, yeah, uh, there you go.
1: It is. Well, I mean, and that you can see it was that game was actually out in mainstream stores. You could pick
0: that up at KB
1: Toys. You could pick it up at Toys R Us. I remember seeing it at Toys R Us and going, huh, this looks like uh, something that might be more up my alley than life or something. Right.
0: Well, now looking Uh, at it, it doesn't look as good as electronic football. However, after playing electronic football, you'll be much more satisfied with Battle Ball. (laughs) You know what I mean by electronic football, right? That 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 vibrator. The bed vibrator. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that one. Okay. Yeah.
0: That I mean, I always wanted that. I played my friends and I was like, I don't want this. This yeah, is it's a, this a vibrator. It's,
1: It's not a good game.
0: (laughs) I'll take my Monopoly guys and stick a vibrator on top of the board there and I'll have just as much fun and know more of what's going on than I would if I was watching electronic football. All right, pal. Well, what else we got?
1: Moving farther into the depths of obscurity, I have a board game. It's actually a card game that is called Street Illegal. It's a a racing, an illegal street racing card game.
0: (laughs) Wow. Oh, man, you know what? i got to bring up. I, I, I'm sure I have some pretty bizarre card games as well. I'm going to have to look into that. Okay, thanks for bringing that. up. But this is a an underground racing card game. Okay, how does this work?
1: Well, the basic mechanic of the game, your cars are in a line uh, from first place to, I think, seventh place. And each turn, you do various things, and you either start from the front of the pack or the back of the pack, depending on what thing you're doing. The basic mechanic is you will have three cards face up in front of you, each with a number between 10 and 50 in even increments of 10, that when you add them up, give you your current speed. And you compare your speed to the safe speed on the track cards that lay out the track that you're on. If you're going too fast, you have to go through shenanigans to make sure you don't die. It's an interesting game because it's a game for seven race cars. If you only have three players, four of the race cars, the game itself runs them. Uh And you have to keep trying to pass them and doing various shenanigans. The other part of the um, mechanic, the track cards will describe some sort of obstacle on them that will do something to change your speed when you encounter the track card. So, uh, if there's an obstacle on your right, the rightmost card on your tableau of cards will be replaced with a random card, which can really mess up your your planned speed going into that turn. Hmm.
0: Now, if how, you, how do you know where the tr- track is, the street is, or whatever? The track is laid out. I think
1: you place seven track cards out at the start. Oh, okay. Uh, so that everybody can see what's coming and try to plan. Their opening hands to uh, work with the track as (laughs) best you're able. Okay. And then each turn you encounter a new part of the track. And basically the turn is uh, sort of establish your speed, deal with the track, and then try to pass people. So everybody kind of stays on the same card together. And uh, the only distances that you track are just numerical. Like, am I in second place? Am I in third place? So you never get that thing where you get in racing video games where you're way out in front and you're not even in a race anymore. You never see the
0: other players. Right.
1: Or you're way behind and you're never going to get caught up. You're always within six cars of the lead.
0: Okay, so it doesn't matter how high your points are, low your points are. It just is an order. Yes. Okay, very good.
1: Now when you, when you match symbols on the track cards to cards in your tableau of speed cards, you get bidding chips. You use the bidding chips to try and pass the other players. Mm. So if I'm coming up behind my friend and he's going 100 miles an hour and I'm going 120 miles an hour, I'm probably gonna pass him. But he has a chance to use his chips to try and boost his speed. And each chip that you wager in one of these passing battles increases your speed by 10 miles an hour okay so if he puts three of them in his fist and then holds it out and reveals three and i didn't put any in there he'll have fought me off and then he gets a chance to pass the guy in front of him on the other hand it's usually better to let a guy with a big advantage pass you and save your chips to blow past him later so it's got a lot of tension to it uh it's a it's a really interesting game
0: and you need actually, at least three, three players to do this, or can you do it with two, or solitaire, or what?
1: It says, actually, that you can play it solitaire. I, oh. I don't think it would be that interesting to play it solitaire. Around my game group, we call the uh, non-played cars the Hasselhoffs, because <laughs> the, uh, the card art has a guy that looks a little tiny bit uh-huh. like David Hasselhoff on I him. I see, I see. So, you just you against six Hasselhoffs isn't going to be the most fun ever. They basically don't do anything except act as obstacles. Their speed is kind of just set when you try to pass them. Hmm. So, you don't have to play for them, it's not that laborious. Okay. Uh, On the other hand, we've played this with a full complement of seven people, and it takes way too long. (laughs) Um, every turn you basically do three things and everybody has to do those three things Mm -hmm. in the course of each round and there's seven rounds so it takes a long time if you have a lot of players. The sweet spot for this game I think is three or four people. Okay. Sounds cool. It is pretty cool and it's from Z-Man Games. This is out of print but I have seen it at game stores on clearance for very cheap. I'm sure you could pick this up it's designed by a guy named Heinrich Glumpler. Oh, and... I'm not, I'm not making that up.
0: That sounds pretty neat. All right, pal. Well, uh, now let's let's go way out of something I thought I would never be talking about at, on a We Talk Game show. Let's do these in semi-chronological order. I'm going to start with probably... I think this is my favorite board game of all time. And it is, uh, of course, for... <laughs> probably ages 1 to 3. No, it's for, it's for ages 7 to 14. But, uh, you know, I don't care. I've been 14 a couple times already, so that's, that's good for me. <laughs> and it is by Parker Brothers. It's for two... Most of the games that I'm going to be talking about here are your classic traditional board games, so two to four players. And this is The Six Million Dollar Man, a game by I, Park, Parker Brothers. I had this. Now, did you have the one that was a blue cover... And it's uh, it had like four of the action cards on it. They were sort of done in comic style, watercolor, almost like the covers of an Atari video game, sort of twenty six hundred. Yes. Uh, this one you had a bionic spinner, and it was a bionic spinner in as much as it had the word the bionic man on it w- in sort of like Casio calculator font. Exactly, and it had some fake black dots that were supposed to be like a speaker. And you also had power cards. So this was basically a spinner and power card type of playing game. You had to complete all four assignments that were laid before you. And it had a really cool, like I said, comic art style on the board game. The playing cards were neat. They just said power. And you completed the game by completing all four missions. And that made you the real $6 million man. Because all you had a two color playing pieces that all were Steve Austin running. And how do they explain that you're all four Steve Austin's? Well, three of you are fake and the winner of this game would be the real six million dollar man.
1: I remember uh, when I played that six million dollar man game, I was pretty young and I I didn't really know the rules. And Uh. there was uh, there was a, you know, the operating table in the middle of the board, and there were sure. those lights above the operating table. Uh-huh. And for some reason, I had my Steve Austins running around on top of those lights for a long time at the start of each game.
0: Now, did you just play this by yourself? Oh, yeah. I was an only child, so. <laughs> I see. You, you had to make your own fun. Yeah, I was too. Uh, boy, you know what? I don't know who I must have played this with. I know I played it with my girlfriends as I got older, but I don't know who I played this with as a kid. Yeah, so so all four of the Steve Austins would run around there. Oh yeah, I forget what the rule was to get off of the lights
1: above the operating
0: table. But it's just a picture. You don't even. <laughs> I don't think you even start there.
1: I, probably not. I don't think they were actually spaces.
0: You know what? I, no, I I think you do start there. And I think you you might have to roll a certain number to to ah, boy I don't remember how it works I know I think that if you land on someone then you you have a bionic battle I know I used to love that and then you try to spin the high number to win the bionic battle and that would send them back I think it sent them back to that that uh, that operating table I think oh, that I might think have it been wasn't. where he started. Well, I Maybe I wasn't so far off. No, but running around the lights, uh, you don't do. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's great. So I enjoyed that. And that was 1975. Continuing in 1975, the Six Million Dollar Man Bionic Crisis Game. This was for ages 8 to 13, although I think that it's far more complex than the other title. This is also by Parker Brothers. They had the license on uh, the Steve Austin. And this game is really neat because it has some game art that was created solely for this game. I don't. I, I think probably the original Six Man Arm Man, that art was probably created for the board game exclusively. But this is like some paintings and things like this, gouache. I don't know. It's really huh? neat. But you are given four trays. And on this tray is a circuit board that has the numbers 1 through 40 on it in little, little hole perforations. And essentially, the gameplay is like a battleship go fish bingo. <laughs> you pick a printed out circuit board card that you don't show to anybody, and it has like a maze drawn through the numbers 1 through 40. And then you pick from a pile of cards that have numbers on them and you yell out a number, and then you sort of like say a go fish if it's not on your card, and you try to guess what your opponent's circuit board looks like, the pattern from their circuit board is, and then you put the battleship red and uh, white pegs into your circuit board before you, and that is called Six Million Dollar Man Bionic Crisis Go Fish Bingo Battleship. And uh, that's it, you know, uh, that's... (laughs)
1: I know one thing. Yes. I know I am about to change my screen name on We Talk Games, a social uh, interactive website, to Battleship Go Fish
0: Bingo. (laughs) You are. Yes. That
1: is the best name I've heard in a long
0: time. (laughs) But I'll tell you, as far as anything that's ever been released, I think the artwork on here reminds me more of the original book that the six million dollar man is based on which was called cyborg i think this reminds me more of that book than any six million dollar man anything that i've ever seen because it's all in this orange and red type of warm colors but very dark and sinister looking images of like people wearing radiation goggles and all the only thing exposed in this hyperbolic chamber is Steve Austin's leg and are shooting like a laser at it and it all and it has this um vignette around the images it's very sinister and and, and real and scary looking so that's definitely a unique one and and a, a fun little title.
1: I didn't even know 6 million dollar man was based on a book.
0: Oh yeah, 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 Cyborg, which you know, was talking about bionics and I I'm not sure if that's how the the term bionics was coined. It's been a. I mean, you know, the seventies were a long time ago, even for me. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I mean, uh, you know, I I was watching the Six Million Dollar Man when it was on television for first runs. Okay, thank you. I'm old. <laughs> so let's move on to 1976. That's the spirit. When uh, both a big hit on television, but not a big hit in board games, the Bionic Woman came out. A game by Parker Brothers, of course. Again, age seven through twelve. This is a game that I was really looking forward to because, uh, if you didn't know, the Bionic Woman did better ratings than the $6 million man. There was a lot of hubbub about this, about her pay rate. Lee Majors Uh was not a big fan of it. If you know the backstory of Lindsay Wagner before the Craftmatic bed, you will know (laughs) that uh, the producers never... They they hired her. They didn't want her. They said that uh, she was too flat-chested to... Homely to uh, something t- skinny, and yet she went on to be a bigger hit, and they had to bring her back from the dead and everything else like that. So, I was really looking for, expecting a lot out of this game. What I got was a board that was like um, a jungle, it had a hospital in the jungle, it had an airplane, a helicopter. Uh, the only neat thing about this jungle, perhaps, is that it had a UFO uh, in there painted on there. And a mm-hmm. whole bunch of white dots over top of <laughs> this jungle, this forest. You have your generic plane pieces as well. They're like from Parcheesi, perhaps. Like I said, a very unbionic plane board. And on these playing cards, there's also a Steve Austin assist card, so that's how they tie that in. The car, It's <laughs> also dice. You, you, you roll dice, and you have cards. And it does have the funky bionic font on the cards and a picture of Jamie Summers, but that's about the only tie that you'll get to anything bionic or anything that has to do with the show at all. Huh. And you must complete a secret assignment, and you have to use your imagination a lot on this game. And that's a six—that's the Bionic Woman game, which was kind of a disappointment. Now, getting to some of my other favorite games, I have—I actually have four more games that I'm going to talk about, and then we'll we'll uh, jump back to you in the more relevant games that <laughs> people can actually get. <laughs> But another title that I really loved when I was a kid was the Amazing Spider-Man game. That came out in 1977. And for some reason, 1977-1978, Marvel came out with games for their two hottest uh, characters, Amazing Spider-Man and Incredible Hulk. But, of course, you can't just be the Amazing Spider-Man and have two to four players, so you need to team them with the Fantastic Four. So it was the Amazing Spider-Man game with the Fantastic Four, and in 1978, the Incredible Hulk game with the Fantastic Four. Uh, in the Amazing Spider-Man game, you capture villain cards on your way to the center of Spider-Man's web, and uh, you use dice to uh, move around. And this was a very patchwork board art type of game it's sort of like eh, I don't know if this is going to sell so we'll just give you some generic plain pieces from Sorry or something else this is a Milton Bradley game yeah just Uh, standard pawns exactly standard pawns and you roll the dice all the artwork was the the artwork on the board was was like cut out of uh, you know something else the spider-man lunchbox lifted from comics and things like this and and not anything original for it 1978 they stepped it up you had actual game playing pieces with the fantastic four on them the incredible hulk was the spinner and his one arm which was from the Sao bishima famous incredible hulk running his one arm would spin around him (laughs) like you know insane i just broke the hulk's arm no you didn't you're just spinning around and i got to tell you one of the worst spinners ever created i've played a <laughs> lot of spinner games i've even played ones that were like built into a blister pack for uh inspector gadget there was a time that they were coming out with these games that were on the, the pegs, like you would just, you would look at a, a blister pack that had a cardboard backing and then a blister pack, and then you would hang it on the, the rack at a toy store, a couple of these different type of games in a row, on one post, and it's hard to explain, but you would you would pull this flat board off the... Post, and that would be the whole game. That the spinner was like built into the blister of the cardboard backing, hmm. and you would play the game on it like that. Uh, but I've played tons of spinner games. This is the worst spinner, uh, the Hulk's <laughs> arm. And you go around the board, and you try to collect these Doctor Bruce Banner cards, and each one of them have a segment of his face on. And you try to change the Hulk back into Bruce Banner. So that's <laughs> uh, those are the two games. They're very simple. They're made for kids. But now let's get into two very bizarre. Board games. It seems like licenses came out for any anything and everything, and I don't know why we don't see more of this. I guess we do, but we pretty much just pass them by because they're such cheaply made games nowadays, uh, as far as board games go. But I actually have the 1976 SWAT game. Oh wow! Yeah. Now I read on here. What is, this? What is this? You know, just as an
1: aside. Yeah. There is a. Uh, a fairly recent, maybe five years old, Hulk board game. It's called like Hulk Smash or something. Okay. It comes with comes with some Play-Doh molds, and uh, he oh, makes molds of little cars and stuff. <laughs> Neat. And then you have this mallet that's shaped like the Hulk's fist, <laughs> and he smashes junk. I've never actually played it, but it sounds like the best kids' game of all time. Yeah. You get to smash junk with a Hulk. Fist-shaped mallet.
0: Well, I, you know, I got to, I got to tell you, every now and then they'll they'll come out with a new Batman game almost every other year, like. There's this one with this Gotham City diorama that you set up. So I guess yeah. they do come out with these. They ju- they're just very breezy. You sort of almost have to be in the right place at the right time to even see these things come out. Yeah, and they kind of play like that too. There's there's not much to right. these games. Right. Yeah. They're sort of like the He-Man Master of the Universe game. It's it's like shoots and ladders, you know. Yeah. Uh, but this game is a little more complex. 1976 SWAT game. It's for of course two to four players. It's a Milton Bradley game as well. Uh, this is. Um, Uh, uses a spinner. You actually build a cardboard SWAT van, and there's four SWAT vans that you punch out of the the, uh, cardboard insert here, and you put it together like a little box, and then you punch out your your players. Uh, They're of the four primary colors. You move your van around, and you try to infiltrate the hideout and catch the culprit by positioning two of your pawns on both sides of the hideout's entryway. And it has all the the stars of the 1976 SWAT game on there. And it looks like they took a picture of their television with the with a camera. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's a SWAT that's, game
1: that's a, that's a market quality right there <laughs> That
0: actually came out But this is probably my one of my prize pieces I mean, I I love my $6 million man game I would punch you if you tried to take them away And there's actually a third $6 million man game That I don't own And, and I'd love to get one of these days If the prices were a little more reasonable Do you, uh, do you have the Planet of the Apes board game With I, the punch-out cardboard cage. Yeah, the the trap. I I definitely had that. I no longer have it, but I have some of the the running humans from that game. Yep. And that I also was a had sweet game. Yeah, it was it was great. I I, I wish I still had that. The little rubber band uh, trap, the trap door on top of that thing. Uh, yep. Of the cage, and I also had the Land of the Giants game, which of course that's oh. even a more obscure uh, television title. Uh, but this one is probably the most obscure. 1977. Once this is by Parker Brothers. It's a die and evidence card and yellow bingo chip game. 1977 Barney Miller game. No way. And you actually use the yellow bingo chips to try to capture four subs- suspects that are to the left of the desk blotter on the playing board game. But it does. It, it's really neat because it has the Mad Magazine-style artwork on both the, the game box and on the the playing board, and you can be Harris Wojohowicz, uh Yamada, uh, or, and of course Or Fish. Oh, uh, divs. So, so yeah, you got to fight to be Fish, I guess. But <laughs> uh, you know what an unfo- unfun board game. It's about as much fun as an episode of Barney Miller, and <laughs> makes about as much sense. I mean, I love I love <laughs> Barney Miller, but I mean they have a holding cell in the middle of a detective office you know it's just it's bizarre well that's
1: so the guest star could interact
0: with the <laughs> of course yeah how else are you going to do that it's perfect sense. it's like it's like hey let's mix wild west and 1977 new york city why, why
1: do they uh they don't have
0: cop sitcoms anymore you never see that no
1: i mean it's such a perfect setup you got a bunch of random weirdos wandering in and out of the place that's a perfect setup for a, for a show.
0: Why don't they make a CSI version? They have a CSI for everything. Why don't they have a CSI <laughs> Comedy Central or something like that?
1: <laughs> this may be a random dead comedian of the week.
0: There you go. Like he, It starts <laughs> off with a monologue. He's telling jokes and then, you know, whammo. Yeah, and then and then somebody comes out and takes his sunglasses off and says, I guess he died. And then you
1: cue the, the, the Who music and go from there. <laughs>
0: Yeah, he dies on stage and then he dies in real life. Uh, yeah. Well, that's it for my board games this episode. I'll be sure to stick around for next episode. I'll be sure to talk about crossbows and catapults. And oh, the mis- that's a good one. That's a great one. And I even had the the uh, mythological add-on characters, the Cyclops oh. and the and the uh, Minotaur. Yeah did you Did you see the sci fi version? No. Yeah, oh, you got to look that up. All right, well, we'll talk about that a little bit more next episode, and uh, I yeah. also want to think I want to talk about Miss Pac-Man and more next episode. But uh, I have a few more video games. Well, let's let's hear from you, and then I'll I'll wrap it up.
1: Okay. Well, I will pledge to talk about the Cubert board game next. Time. Ah, yes,
0: that was Parker Brothers.
1: I think that was a surprisingly good game based on a completely incomprehensible video game. <laughs>
0: incomprehensible or unplayable on any system except the super nintendo (laughs) super nintendo had a fantastic version of qbert and you actually held the controller diagonally so that it would correlate to the directions that you're jumping gotcha yeah that's interesting I, i never
1: played that version
0: oh yeah it made it playable and the the backgrounds were all modified and crazy disco things happened and, and it was a really neat, really neat version of the game very playable. Well, let's see.
1: This, this last game I want to talk about, this is a this is a tabletop RPG and this is pretty obscure. Uh, this is an independent release. It's self-published. You have to go to a a print on demand site if you want to buy this game. Okay. But on the plus side, that means you can pick it up and it will be available for you. It's a game uh, by a guy named Christopher Peter. And it's called Fight the Fighting Game RPG. <laughs> wow. Also known as Fight Fighting Game Game.
0: <laughs> okay, very good. So the the creator had a sense of humor.
1: Well, <laughs> yes. And you can go to his blog uh, to see... He puts little snippets of what he's working on. He's working on some supplementary material for this game. This is an interesting game. It's... Um, it's obviously based on video games like street fighter and mortal Kombat. the vast gamut of it the the bibliography in the back is actually just a massive list of video games you should try if there's one genre of video game that i've always dearly loved but miserably miserably sucked at it was fighting games okay. i have never been good at them i mean i can pick up like a a ken Uryu clone uh-huh and, gotcha uh, and probably struggle my way through the arcade mode
0: on level 4. I'm, I'm with you, man. I'm with you, man.
1: Yeah, but you always feel like you're missing something. Oh, yeah. Fighting video games, are, you're missing something. Number one, you don't get to make your own character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and number two, there's, especially in the Capcom games, there's a vast amount of plot. It's huge. It's, like, on par with an RPG, but you don't really see any of it except the stuff that you kind of glean from character bios and stuff like that the setting for Street Fighter is really interesting when you think about it, it's like, well, there's all these guys wandering the world with super powerful martial arts fighting crime with their fists and that's just the way this world works don't try to question it yeah And that makes it perfect material for a tabletop
0: RPG. I see.
1: They've tried to do this before. Uh, White Wolf Games put out a Street Fighter RPG back in the mid-90s. Okay. And it was was decent. I'll talk about that some other time, but it was a decent game. I'm not going to knock it. This fight game, it's a remarkable achievement. This game is a tabletop game, and when you play it, you're in the combat system, it actually plays like a fighting game somehow. Everything is just so thematically on. Everything in the combat is, and you know, it, it's, it's RPG combat. You're rolling dice and calling attacks and uh, marking off hit points, but everything in it is about controlling space, which I'm told is what you do if you're a good fighting game player. You know, Ken and Ryu work mm-hmm. on. I control the horizontal by throwing fireballs, and if you jump at me, I hit my dragon punch. Gotcha, right. This game works a lot like that, and you can build your character to fill the holes in what you're doing. It's, it's a, it's really interesting. Uh, I bought it kind of on a lark, thinking it would be kind of you know, just some kind of crappy little game, and uh, I've, I got something that's actually pretty meaty. The game is not all a bed of roses. I'll say the uh, the rule book kind of reads like a math textbook. It's not very conversational, and the author makes some weird choices in sort of character statuses that you can pick, little attributes that you can choose at the during character creation. They kind of are genre appropriate, like cross dressing weirdos and stuff, but. It seems like a weird thing to actually bring up uh, as an important thing in the game uh, with mechanical backing. Uh, eh, I don't know. And it's not the most well-organized game. Now, in this guy's defense, this Christopher Peter guy, he wrote and edited this on his own. Uh-huh. And then he hired some uh, some artists to do art for his uh, his work. He didn't have a professional editor, uh, so you can forgive some of his organizational problems. Maybe he didn't bounce off some of his ideas off the right people to have him go, Well, you know, that uh, that particular <laughs> thing isn't that marketable, and you should leave that out.
0: Right, right.
1: Uh, but on the whole, this game is brilliant for its combat system, and you can do a lot with it the supplement material he's working on apparently is going to introduce things like Mortal Combat style fatalities to the game <laughs> which, uh, you know, it could be interesting I, I don't know, you know it's it's the perfect RPG actually for playing with one game master and one player, and that's actually what I've been doing, I've been running a, a game of this for a friend of mine and I didn't really have a good idea for a setting so I'm just like, hey man, make a character and then I'll base the setting on your character. And he wound up making the fighting game equivalent of the Fenris wolf from Norse mythology. So I just took all the characters from Norse mythology and turned them into fighting game characters. Wow. And made up excuses for him to fight them. And it's working like a dream. I mean, this is a seriously, seriously interesting game. One of the problems with it, and it shares this problem with D&D 4th edition, which I'm not sure would be high praise for this guy or not, but... The combat is so interesting <laughs> whoa what happened something I don't know how that came on sorry a video in the others
0: in the other window opened <clears throat> of me
1: no it was oh, uh yeah. Mr.
0: Plinkett okay very good uh, well, as long as it's not me all <laughs> right because I'm in my underwear <laughs> no all right. okay. Uh, Where was I? A very interesting thing happened. (laughs) saw a video open in another window. Uh, All right. You were... Combat
1: is so interesting. It shares this problem with D&D 4th. Right. When you're not in combat, the game system itself is not very much fun anymore. D&D 4th edition has this problem. The combat is really complex. Uh, There's a lot of things interacting. It really engages your mind. That's what this game's combat does. And then when you're out there just rolling skill checks and talking to NPCs, it's like, eh, I want to get back into another fight. Luckily, it's a fighting game RPG, so you've got a good excuse to get your characters into a fight most of the time.
0: Okay, so there is a story element as well.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you you could do as much story as you want. It's an RPG. The Game Master can plan what he wants with it. We've been playing pretty much. You meet up some guy, you exchange some veiled threats, and then some direct threats, and then you fight. I see. <laughs> very good. And you know, it, it works. It works very well on that level. I, I got to recommend this game, uh, even with its uh, even with its warts. It's uh, it's decent, very decent, and you can get it for twenty five bucks, print on demand, which is uh, not that expensive for an RPG nowadays.
0: No. Oh. All right, man. Well. I'm going to wrap it up with some video games. Actual video games that you play on a television. And I've been playing a lot of my Saturn. Getting back into my Saturn again. And at times I feel like I'm the only person with a Saturn. (laughs) I got one, but I don't know if it works. It's in my storage area. Gotcha. If you have a Japanese Saturn, then you'll be in uh, good luck here, because you'll be able to pick this up. But I think one of the most fun board games that I've played on the current generation consoles has been Uno for the Xbox. I just think that's a blast to play. It's a lot of fun. It's even more fun when you can play against your friends online. It's got this really soothing, smooth jazz soundtrack. Definitely, definitely. (laughs) But... Uno's been available on a lot of handhelds and things like this, and, you know, it's okay. Now I think EA has a license for it, and whatever. I don't don't really want to get into that. But in 1998, for the Japanese-only release, Uno DX came out. Now this has a bunch of Japanese in it, and you'll be hard-pressed to find any game facts or information on this thing. So you're going to have to muddle through the menu options on your own. It is for one or two players. However, when you play two-player, you will see your opponent's hand. But you can play with up to four to six competitors. You choose whether you want to have four people on screen at once, one of them being you, or six people at once, which, I mean, four people takes long enough to try to uh-huh. win one of these things. You know you know how long it takes to win Uno, because... You're trying to reach a certain number of points, and yep. it could be three or four hands before you even win one, and it's, it's very hard to to finish a complete game in less than a half hour, probably around a half hour to 45 minutes, I would assume, but with six players. Yikes. Yeah. But this is really neat. Now, I don't know how people feel about anime now. It's sort of like overblown for the past <laughs> Ten years, I think. So you're either sick of it or you're really digging it. But this title has a lot of character and a lot of character to their anime. The anime character design. There's 11 characters to choose from. Of course, you have your schoolgirl, your extremely effeminate lead man that's mysterious. You have yes. your sexy, and you could
1: play that guy you can in fight the fighting game RPG. Oh, there's a trait that you can take
0: to be the effeminate,
1: pretty boy leading, leading mystery male. man.
0: Yes, and. And there's the sexy purple-haired jiggly boob girl and all that type of thing. And this is chock-full of your anime stereotypes and more. But it's full of large-screen animations, great voice acting, and of course, once again, all in Japanese. It's not ruined by oh i 'm going to win actually that 's too good for american overdubs uh, i can't yeah. i can 't do an annoying voice except my natural voice uh, but uh, that it it 's full of really neat things and if you if you go on YouTube, you can see uh, the opening video for this uno dx game and you 'll be like that is quite <laughs> an extraordinary bit of animation for this uno video <laughs> yeah. game what the, they're making a whole opening for a cartoon for a video game about uno but it's quite quite interesting I, from what i understand you can choose japanese rules uno or american rules uno i have no idea what the difference there is once again Let's like they
1: say in uno you have to say ichiban
0: <laughs> you don't say ichiban you say uno and if oh. you don't call uno you get you get called on it And it's a very interesting animation because your characters become full screen. They say, challenge And they go through some sort of crazy animation, each unique to the one of 11 characters that uh, is doing the challenge. And then... You either were faking or you weren't, and there's a different animation for that—the the <laughs> giant crying eyes and things like this—you know that are typical to animations if you watch yeah. anime. Uh, and the the character that challenged, if they have to pick the six cards, they'll go through some other type of giant on-screen animation. So it's pretty amazing the amount of work that went into this, and it's a real shame that they never made, uh, you know, an American version of this because. Uh, this this Uno DX, I think, would have been a, a very hot ticket in, in 1998, that's for sure, and perhaps set a higher standard for the new releases of Uno, even though, like I said, I think the Xbox version of Uno is very good, the 360 version, I think that's a very good version, but I enjoy playing this a lot more, even though I might make a mistake. <laughs>
1: Are there any uh, weird uh, video game rules that they stick in there on you?
0: None at all. Like I said, the only thing that's different is is that uh, if you do play with a second player, you will be able to see what their hand is. Okay. And I don't think that you're on the same team uh, because... When I've I've never gotten to two player and actually won a hand, <laughs> but he, everyone has their own score at the end of the round, so it shows on a chalkboard with really neat little chibi drawings of your character, either happy or sad, on this chalkboard, <laughs> uh, you know, and shows your points that you've accumulated. And you could set what point you want to go for, you know, 400 or 500, that type of thing. But it only it only supports uh, two live players. Even though if you stick your multi tap in there, you're not going to get any more. The only thing I'm not sure of is if you have two copies of this game and you hook it up with the Saturn Link cable and two televisions. If it would oh. work with your own view of it, I seriously doubt it, because there were only a few titles that supported that. Uh, yeah, and, and like I, I think the I think Daytona did, and and a few other. Uh, oh, Bomberman, the 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 Saturn Bomberman, which oh, I'll okay. probably talk about on the next we talk games, just because I love that game so much. Best version of Bomberman ever. When they brought it over to America, they took out the ability to be bonk and to be the other players i have no idea why so you know master higgins and things like this but uh there were only a few games that took advantage of that link cable and i doubt that this did so that's the only uh downside if you want to call it that i i think it's uh, you know just as fun a one player game now i promised some cdi i'm not going to go back on my promise um mm-hmm. of course CDi not exclusive in having board ga- board games transcoded for it the Philips CDi not good for very much uh, the, the it should have remained the unused Super Nintendo CD-ROM and in the Super Nintendo CD-ROM graveyard alongside the PlayStation 1 uh the PlayStation 1 much better execution <laughs> Of, of the Super Nintendo CD-ROM than the than the Philips CDI was. Connect Four, of course, Battleship came out for it. Very crappy to play on that system <laughs> because nah. number one, the controller was like, is is this how it's supposed to control? I just spent upwards of seven hundred dollars for this system when <laughs> everything you know is was all said and done and wrapped up in a bag from the silo. And is it supposed to control like this? wow, this sucks. And yeah, so Battleship, not very good. Uh, Connect 4, not very good. At the time, I guess it was okay, you know, but I might as well have been playing Sesame Street, the, Mm -hmm. the educational titles for this, because that's about how much enjoyment I got out of it. But one thing that the CD, I did do very well, and had exclusive, as far as I know, rights to these games, and they're not really board games. I'm stretching it a bit, but... They had great green screen game show masterpieces for this Phillips CDI. You had the Joker's oh. Wild with Wink Martindale. You had the Joker's Wild Jr. with Mark Summers from, you know, Double Dare. You had Jeopardy with Alex Trebek. And you had Name That Tune with, of course, Bob Goen. Oh? Bob Goen. <laughs> hmm. Never heard of him. <laughs> Me either, yeah. But I've talked about these games on the show before, and um, the CDI did these very well. And if you're a fan of playing a game show game on your gaming console, the CDI worth it just, I think, for Joker's Wild. If you remember that game then this is going to be your only way to play joker's uh, uh, you, the joker's wild. Uh joker's wild, that's a classic classic game show. If you want to go uh, off the board for $50, you could do that here, you know. <laughs> joker, joker <laughs> yes. and a double. Joker,
1: joker. Dogs and cats.
0: Right. <laughs> so, you know, it's a great game. It actually plays pretty well. You only have to use one controller so you don't have to worry about well, actually, you know what? I take that back. I think you can only ever use one controller on this system, and you always <laughs> would pass the controller. Yeah, I, I think uh, that's how that was, and and it was the. Gra- I used to work for Gravis, but it was that Gravis Pad, and it was just a piece of junk on there. Number one, they. <laughs> and, but if you didn't have the Gravis Pad, then you were forced to use the Wiimote. I. I didn't even realize that the the original controller for the CDI was, of course, a remote control, and it had a thumbstick on it. It oh. had a thumbstick with buttons, four buttons around the thumbstick. So you know, like do the thumbstick and then press a button while you're still doing the thumbstick with the same hand. It was silly.
1: So you weren't really strafing, is what you're saying. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, it, you you had to like take your hand off the thumbstick and press one of the buttons. But I guess you could use the same thumbstick uh, and then and then press the buttons with your other hand. It was not a directional thumbstick. It was a- like analog, like moving a mouse. Oh. And essentially, that's what it was to do: was to move a mouse around the screen because this was supposed to be you know edutainment. The mm-hmm. the the nail in the coffin of your gaming system, calling it edutainment. Might as well. Shoot it down right out the door. Yeah, which they,
1: they did, didn't they? I mean. they,
0: it I it, tell you what, it really was an impulse buy. They made it out to be a bigger game than a system than it was. I'll talk about the, some of the innovations and some of the directions they tried to go with this on the next We Talk Games, I hope. But uh, like I said, the best games you'll play on this system are definitely these game show masterpieces. They're all shot in front of the green screen. But they have an announcer, they have a host, and for that, I give it thumbs up, much better than the Wheel of Fortune now for their current consoles, which have nothing, and the price is right, no host, they have an announcer, and that's it. So, mm-hmm. how much fun is that? Not fun. I want to yeah. see, see Wink Martindale. And you can! with the CDI. Yep. And you can probably pick this up for, you know, a dime at someone's garage garage sale and <laughs> you'll you'll be able to find these titles somewhere, I'm sure, through the ether. Well, pal, hey, thanks so much for making this uh, version of the Breakout Bonus Level we talk games possible. If you like what you hear here, here it on our We Talk Games flagship show, our monthly mega-sode, which can be anywhere from two and a half to three and a half hours, or sometimes even four hours if we go crazy. Where we, which also we do fe- pretty often. Yes. And we feature counsel on there as well as interviews with people that help built the video game industry. Like I mentioned before, Ralph Baer, um, Trip Hawkins, and people from Contemporary Games Now that are out now, like people from the Trip series and also most recently people of team meat which is very close and near and dear to my heart but you don't eat meat but i'd love to be a part of team meat and i i don't know i don't know why but i feel like i helped make that game in some (laughs) small way we also like to release these bobbles each week each week it's a different we never know what we're going to do it's like a bingo picker where you pull out the ping pong ball and it says downloadable arcade at home Stinky and Ouch Digital Plunger Show. You never know what you're going to get, but I know one thing for sure. Tune into our next bobble dealing with board games, where we talk about all the board games that you would cut off the back of a cereal box. I have one of those
1: right now. It's uh, the Lucky Charms
0: one. Come on now. And did you get the dice? in? In uh, Instead of a game, you get the dice in the in the wax paper bag, right?
1: No, you're supposed to put the marshmallows in your hands and shake them until one comes out. And that's each number, each marshmallow corresponds to a number.
0: Now, did you just make that up? Oh, that's downstairs in my fridge right (laughs) now. My goodness. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Fantastic. All right. Well, and then and you know what? And then the next episode, we'll be talking about records that you tore out of your mad magazine. (laughs) Hey, thanks for making it.
1: Yeah, see, that was a tie for in. Me.
0: That but no, that was a tie in with the Mad Magazine record making it. Okay. Uh, hey, see you next time uh, Eric Alex. I hope to I hope to talk to you on the next we talk games as well. Bye now. Bye.